Welcome to Brave, Bold, Brilliant. Your host, Jeanette Linfoot, talks to incredible people about their experiences and unleashing their full potential. From the boardroom tables of big international business to the dining room tables of entrepreneurial startups, embracing opportunities, overcoming challenges, taking risks, while staying true to yourself is where the magic happens. Welcome to the Brave, Bold, Brilliant podcast. I'm Jeanette Linfoot. I am here today with a very special guest. And this is someone that is, is a real icon in the travel industry, actually, and started off life as a market trader and then jumped into travel agency business of retail. So early years at Pickford's, Baker's Dolphin, um, and then going places. Actually, at that point, after that, became MD of Travel House uh, within the TUI group at the time and then progressed to become the director of Direct Channels. These are the early dot-com years. And after that, his empire at TUI grew, sales and marketing director. And more recently, not that recent, actually, because it's probably been quite a few years now, Mm. uh, jumped out of corporate into setting his own business up. So I am delighted to welcome Miles Morgan to the podcast. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Great to see you, Miles. So a good place to start. I mean, obviously, you spent most of your career in travel, but there's been a lot within that. I mean, I just picked up a couple of highlights. Mm. Um, So do you want to just tell us about where life started for you and just sort of up to present day, really? That'd be cool. Yeah, a long time ago now it started, it's fair to say. Um, it, It started a long time ago down in Sleepy Devon. Um, which is where I where I grew up, lovely part of the world to grow up. Um, lots of beautiful landscape and uh, peace and tranquility, which is great. Um, and really, I, I grew up in a in a happy family. A brother, a couple of sisters, um, very happy. Big house in the country, but skint parents. Um, they bought a big house when big houses were cheap, but had no money really, so the whole place was falling down. Um, but it was a great childhood. Really enjoyed it and. Um, and I suppose from a business perspective, my my sales career started when I was 10, I think, probably, because um, <laughs> when I was 10, I started doing the markets with my dad selling plants uh, on Taunton Market every Saturday. Used to uh, used to go down to Taunton Market and um, and it probably it was that that sort of stimulated my excitement about sales, which I've been happy with for the whole of the rest of my life. And I think the the early lessons that I learned, and it, it's bizarre to think you can learn lessons when you're 10 years old, but <laughs> but but I did, you know, think things like, you know, Gardener's World was always on on a Friday night, and you could guarantee what was ever on Gardener's World on a Friday night was everybody wanted to buy that on a Saturday. Yeah, if you yeah. didn't have it with you, you, you couldn't sell it, you know, and the, the power of television was amazing. Uh, and and the other thing that, that's probably my favourite story about the, the that time was was learning that presentation of product is everything. So we used to have um, we used to have six plants basically in one box, all in their pots, and um, very often only one of them was flowering. Um, and so the first person coming to the stall that saw it wanted to buy that one. Mm. And as soon as you sold the one with the flower, you couldn't sell the other five. Wow! So every Saturday, my first job was to put a sold sign on the one with the flower. Sell the other five, because people said, I'll have the one with the flower. We haven't got one with the flower, but you can have these other five. Sell the other five, then take the sold sign out. And obviously, it was the easiest sale of the day, selling the one with the flower. And, <laughs> and it's weird. And, and it just proved that you can have exactly the same product, dressed in a different way. In this case, had a flower on it. And all of a sudden, you can sell it. You know, And, yeah. and, 
And I suppose it's a bit sad, really, but I loved all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like what gave me a buzz. Just and and I used to count the money on the way home in the van with my dad, and we always used to compete to see who'd sold the, the same amount of money. And I guess all that sort of stuff has lived with me since then. Really, I've mm. I've, I've loved it, and and the psychology of sales, all that stuff. It's just just brilliant stuff, really. And I, I fr from that, I um. I used to buy bankrupt stock and sell it at school. I used to sell jewellery and all sorts of stuff I used to buy and sell and, and make money and I used to spend it all on crisps and pop and stuff, <laughs> whatever, but, but I enjoyed it. And, and then I got into, um, into pop badges. Um, so back in the day, we're talking about um, Adam and the Ants, people like that, Motorhead. <laughs> and so I used to buy badges from the guy that did the market in Taunton and then I used to sell them at school all that week and then the following week buy them from him again and but it got so I started to sell so many I was taking too much of his stock so he introduced me to his wholesaler <laughs> and I then used to buy them direct from his wholesaler and, and and do it and so when I left school I thought you know what something in this so I left school and started selling badges um, on the markets down in North Devon um, and then once I got a bit of money together, I bought a t-shirt printer and started printing t-shirts, um, that sort of stuff. And, um, my gran, um, started taking bed sheets, cut them up, made pillowcases. And I used to send shaking Stevens pillowcase covers and stuff like that when nobody was doing that sort of stuff. It was quite novel back yeah. in the day. And, um, and so I did that for quite a while. I loved it. It, it was incredibly hard work. So I was working seven days a week, I don't know, 18 hours a day, really, really long days, because mm. you're up the following day to do the market again. But it was incredibly seasonal, so I was probably only doing 10 weeks, 11 weeks a year, that was all. And then in the winter, I then used to do, uh, I was a builder's labourer, so I used to go and uh, work for a guy. I lived in a caravan in the corner of a field just outside Linton. Um, every winter, it was absolutely freezing. <laughs> And I got woken up every morning by a goat rubbing itself under the bottom of the caravan. It used to drive me insane. I've hated goats ever since. <laughs> um, and so in the winter, I did that just to give myself some money. Um, I used to play rugby on a Saturday and, and, and do the building work during the week and then do the, uh, do the markets. And um, I did that probably for three, four years. And, um, but it was just too seasonal, really. There were, mm. you know, and the seasons were getting shorter. And so... Um, there was an advert in the local paper, the North Devon Journal, for um, a travel agent with a view to management. I can still see the advert now. And uh, I said to my sister, I could do that. And then she said, ah, yeah, come on and go and apply. And so, and so I did. And uh, somehow or other, I managed to get the job. And that was working for, for Pickford's Travel, um, a name from the past on, on the quay in Biddeford. And so I used to go with my sister. She worked in Biddeford for the council. And so the two of us used to go together in the car. And um, and I started as a as a travel agent on the counter, um, writing initially railway tickets. Used to write handwrite rail tickets wow. back then. Can you remember those days, bloody <laughs> hell? And there, there was a couple of posh schools around there, and I used to write the railway tickets to places I'd never even heard of. Virginia Water. I thought Virginia Water's the name of a person, but actually it's a place as well. And I used to write rail tickets to all these posh places and stuff, and. And started to learn the ropes and started to sell proper holidays from, um, there was a, an older lady there, 50, oh God, she must have been 55, 60, I suppose. And, and she was a brilliant travel agent. And I started learning from her, 
But I used to get really fed up with the way they did things. I didn't like the windows and the racking that Pickford used to do. And I used to try and change it. And I, I think I just did my manager's head in completely. And I ended up actually on a disciplinary um, because I think I just drove them around the bend. And so um, for a bloke down there, you, 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 you want to get bigger and grow. And, and really, Devon had a ceiling in terms of what you could do. Mm. And so um, I saw an advert for, for Baker's Dolphin, who were, um, had a weird name for the start. So I thought, Baker's Dolphin is a bloody weird name. Uh, but they were very successful and had a lot of shops around Bristol. And I thought, well, let's have a go for that. So I applied for a manager's job with them. I went up for an interview in Bristol to the big city. <laughs> um, and they said, you haven't got enough experience to be a manager, but we will give you a job. And so um, I started on the counter with them um, up in Bristol, moved up. Um, it's quite ironic. My dad said that um, the day he dropped me, he dropped me off in this shared house in a place called Fishponds in Bristol. And uh, it was horrendous, this house. <laughs> and my dad told me afterwards he had to go to the pub for a whiskey after he dropped me off. <laughs> he didn't tell me that for a good few years afterwards because uh, it was that bloody grim. And so I, I, I lived in this shared house. I, um, I worked in a nightclub three nights a week on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I worked in a nightclub behind the bar serving drinks because just couldn't earn enough money really to even live up there. Um, but after a bit, I think six months or so, they gave me an assistant manager's job um, and I started to move up the rungs a little bit. Um, and so I got a manager's job um, and then they opened a, a division called Holiday Warehouse, which was the sort of first sort of bucket shop, cheap travel agent sort of thing, frill free service, that sort of stuff. And they, they asked me if I'd run that. And so and so I did. So I opened the first one then we had a second one, third one, fourth one, fifth one. Um, and then I feel like I was an area manager running those. And then they then said, OK, well, why don't you do a, a bigger job for, for the whole of Baker's Dolphin? And so um, I think we had 30, 30, 35 shops then. Mm. And so I, um, I started doing um, the sales and marketing role for them, uh, commercial negotiations with suppliers, all that sort of stuff. And um, I absolutely loved it. You know, it, it was a, an amazing job to have. Um, the company was growing. Everything was great. Um, I'd actually bought myself a push bike. So I had a bike so I could actually get about because I didn't even have anything I had to walk mm -hmm. everywhere to start with and get the bus. Um, my boss then was a guy called Kevin Abbey, who's a well-known chap in the, in the travel industry. And Kev was a, a really good mentor in terms of his approach to marketing were, was very, very simplistic. Um, and it worked brilliantly. Um, very good on PR, promotion, brand. And I learned a lot from him as, as I developed my career. And um, I suppose I reached the ceiling. The shops grew to 60, 70 shops. And I was thinking, right, OK, where do I go now? Because um, I was like looking for the next thing. And um, it became obvious after a bit that I wasn't going to go anywhere there with them. Mm -hmm. um, there was no chance of being on the board of directors or anything like that. And and it's ironic. I, I then did move on and um, probably it was only 12 months later that they sold to First Choice. And so you sort of think, ah, maybe that was why they didn't want to <laughs> give any equity out in the business, which you can fully understand. And so yeah. um, so I left and um, I joined Going Places. Um, another brand from the past, really, yeah, part, yeah. part of the Air Tours group, um, which obviously Pickford's became um, going places. And um, I was recruited to run their new IT um, development that was going to be their sales machine for all their shops. It was called Matchmaker. 
um, and it was going to be the super selling system for all of these um, going places shops. And, um, you know, it was um, Jill Martin that recruited me and it was just, um, I look back now and think, bloody hell, Jill, you were brave recruiting me um, <laughs> because I knew absolutely sod all about um, IT in the slightest, not, not a thing. And they said, oh, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We just want somebody that knows about sales. And so um, I did that for, what, 18 months, something like that. And um, it was brilliant. It scared the living daylights out of me because I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. But I learned all about how you develop big projects and how, mm. um, you know, user acceptance testing, all these things I knew nothing about. And so it, was, it, was, um, it wasn't me. It absolutely wasn't me. But it was a really good learning tool for me in terms of understanding something that, that I didn't know, yeah. being at your comfort zone, big corporate environment, all that sort of stuff. So, so it was great. Um, and I remember really, really well, I was in a, in a hotel in Basildon, of all places, doing, um, doing a training session for the system for Matchmaker. And I was just about to get in the lift. And this bloke phoned me, Martin Morgan, who ran Travel House, phoned me. Um, speaking at about 100 miles an hour like he did. Um, sold the business, sold the business, sold the business. Going to go through tomorrow, going to go through tomorrow. Making a lot of money, making a lot of money, which he was a huge amount of money. Um, and he wanted me to join Travel House because he understood that they wouldn't let him leave until he had somebody to run it. And so um, he said, come down and see me. So I went down and saw him and uh, said, yeah, gets me back into sales, which is what, what I love. Mm. Um, and so I joined Travel House um, and worked there for about eight months, something like that, I think, with Martin. And then at that point, they said, OK, this bloke will be good enough. Um, we'll make him MD and you can go, which obviously was fantastic for him. Yeah. Great opportunity for me. Um, and uh, sort of two things happened, really. I, I got an MD's job, which was amazing. I was so like, oh, my God, you know, fantastic, <laughs> um, which was brilliant. Um, but that MD's job was um, had the lifespan of a month. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think I learned then about this is what corporate life is all about. <laughs> a restructure. Oh, my God. Um, so there was a restructure a month after I got the MD's job. Um, and they said, right, OK, we, we're just going to have one person running all the shops. And so there was John McEwen running all these Lumpoly shops mm. and me running 35, 40 travel house shops. And I was thinking, hmm, wonder if I'll get this job. And so I thought I'm not even going to waste my time going for it um so i thought what else is about and there was a job the other opportunity job was um had a weird title direct channels director was the title and it was looking after the 11 call centers and um on the website and um it's quite laughable now that that was very much the secondary job mm. um the web small amount of business not that important and i thought yeah yeah let's go for that and so um I was successful getting there and, um, you yeah, know, it was, a, it was a, about a thousand seats. So it was a big call centre operation um, and obviously the website. And um, again, never on call centres. And so, you know, managing staff through that, shift mm. patterns, all that sort of stuff was all new to me and, um, and a great learning. And I think um, if I look at all the things that I'd done, they were all good because they all kept me interested and excited and nervous because I didn't know them well. And so you're always learning and hoping to improve yourself as an individual and the skills mm. that you've got. And so, you know, that that was a great job. And again, that only lasted 12 months um, before John left Lumpoly and they asked me to take over as boss of Lumpoly as well as doing the web and, um, and the call centre. So I, I took on that job. 
12 months after then, they asked me to take over marketing as well and, and property and facilities. So I was looking after the retail estate property facilities. It was a big job, I think 7,000 staff, something like that, really, yeah. really big job. Um, and you kind of look back now and you go, bloody hell, you know, I started on the counter in Biddeford. 7,000 staff is just insane, really. And <laughs> and it kind of it kind of sneaks up on you without you even realising what goes on. It just, it just kind of happens, really. Mm. Um, and it was just amazing. I'd always, you know, tried to climb the greasy pole, get myself up, 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 up. And, um, and you know, I, I suppose, I mean, this is, this is all about, these podcasts are all about people learning. I think the one thing through all of that that I was always focused on was trying to get the next job up the ladder. Yeah. I was never really bothered about money. Yeah. Um, I always believed that the money would follow if I could get the job and prove I was worth it. And mm. so it was a kind of, it was just the way I worked. I was always like, right, can I get the next job? Yeah. Um, money? I don't really care about the money because, you know, I'll prove I'm good enough that you want to pay me the money yeah. down the track, but get the job first. And that that was always my kind of focus that I'd had all along. And and to do that and get as high as I got, you know, staggered me really because, and, and I can understand this more now with the benefits of hindsight, that I um, I simply was not corporate boy. No. It is not me. I just, you know, square peg, round hole, whatever you want to call it. I just, just not me at all. And um, sat in those board meetings, you are so far from the coalface and sales and people and customers. It's untrue. Mm. And and the, the way I looked at it, you know, I could be selling widgets, could have been selling anything. And, and I guess what I realised after time of doing that job was that, what got me out of bed in the morning is is selling stuff. Yeah. The cut and thrust of selling stuff, talking to customers, talking to staff and and in all that climbing up the greasy pole, it's what I'd lost. I'd lost the bit that I enjoyed most. Mm. And it was kind of Christmas time. I I remember chatting to my wife and saying, I just I've just lost the love at the moment. It, it's just not there. And it was that Christmas I thought, you know what, I need to I need to get out of this and and find my own way, mm. and which is quite ballsy, really, because you, you know you've got a nice salary, pension, all this sort of stuff, and yeah. chucking it up in the air is is quite a dangerous game. But I suppose what I thought is, you know, I, I want to enjoy myself. I want to get back to having that buzz when I get up in the morning about really being excited to to get into work, make a difference, do things, make things happen, and and I kind of lost that, mm. and um, and that was kind of sad. I think, yeah. but um, but it was the springboard for me thinking, you know, I, I need to move on. Should I stop talking now? No, that's great. So <laughs> there's a lot in there. There's a lot in there. Um, I mean, listen, you you are incredibly humble, Miles. I mean, that's the one thing that just shines through because I, I guess because of partly your family background and the way you started your career, you know, as a market trader and, and sort mm. of all of that. And I think that passion and that desire to serve the customer in the best way and the buzz of the sale is something that just is a thread, isn't it, through the whole of mm. that kind of period for you. I just wanted to pick up on sort of the early years with your dad because, you know, you talked about 
I can imagine you in the van or in the car on the way back from the, you know, being on the stall on a Saturday selling the plans, counting the money in this competition between you and your dad about, you know, who'd sold the most or whatever. So I think it's an interesting aspect, this sort of approach to money and, and how we're taught about money when we're kids mm. growing up. Cause, you know, for me in my background as more, you know, coming from a very working class family, you know, phrases like, well, money doesn't buy happiness, money doesn't grow on trees and, and almost sort of seeing money as, as almost more of a negative thing than a positive thing. But it sounds like that wasn't necessarily the case for you with the experience you had with your dad. Mm. And that money, even though you came from relatively humble beginnings, mm. there was still a, a, an appreciation that money is actually a good thing. Mm. Would you say yeah. that was that was true? Uh, kind of. I think I think it was it was it was probably more the competition than the money. Okay. It right. would almost been irrelevant what we were doing. There was there was there was a competitive edge between me and my dad in terms of which <laughs> one could achieve the greatest thing. And I yeah. think that the the sort of if you like, if I look back at my career and what I've done, very rarely through the whole of that is ever money been the motivator for me, mm. which is quite interesting. It's always been the challenge. It is the thing, and ironically, probably if I get, if I kind of wind it back to to what it was all about, it is you know I, my dad was a teacher. That's what he did. He was a biology teacher, and um, boy did I do badly in my exams, right. um, including failing biology, which was not the easiest conversation <laughs> to have with your dad, to be honest <laughs> with you. And, and I think that probably that was quite a big motivator for me. Is I did absolutely cock up, right? Um, and I, and the reason I cocked up, I just wasn't interested. It yeah. just didn't excite me. School did not excite me in the slightest. And I think I've always been probably out to prove to my dad, probably more than anything else, that I can make something of myself mm. because I made a complete arse at school in terms of my results. They, they, were, they were shocking, including failing his subject, <laughs> which wasn't the best of things to do. But it, it, it has almost kicked me on if you like as a, as a motivator that's driven me through and yeah. and and like i say i don't think it's a money thing it was the competitive thing that was the was the thing that i enjoyed the cut and thrust you know come yeah. on dad i can sell more than you and that sort of stuff okay. and yeah and I, and I love that kind of thing and and and, and we enjoyed it every week and and, and he did beat me sometimes <laughs> <laughs> Not very often. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. And one of the things you were saying, when you sat down that Christmas um, and just thought, actually, I'm just not really, I'm, I'm not really enjoying my corporate life at the moment. And, uh, you know, it, I, I feel too far removed from kind of what's important to me. Um, I guess part of that is coming back to, you know, purpose and what's important in your life. And, and that, that must have been quite a pivotal moment, you know, and quite a bit, like you say, I mean, this, podcast brave bold brilliant you know to to walk away from what you had you know the salary the status all of that mm. the bells and whistles that comes with it to say no actually I'm going to get back to what's important to me and to my purpose mm. and go out on my own and mm. start totally from scratch mm. um was that really scary or did it feel like it was just a calling and something that you were compelled to do at the time do you think I think you, you... It's quite interesting how when you when you look back on things, you have a different pair of eyes mm. to when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. I mean, it sounds strange. It felt naturally the right thing for me to do at the time. Mm. I look back now and go, Christ, that was ballsy. <laughs> Brave, bold, brilliant and ballsy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but you didn't think it at the time. And I think it's probably... 
and I think anybody in business needs to have this, you have to have an inner belief that you will succeed. Mm. And I think probably that's kept me going through that period in terms of, well, I'll make it work. I'll yeah. make it work. Mm. How I was going to make it, I haven't got a bloody clue. Yeah. But but it was that that allowed me to make the leap is is the feeling that, yeah, I can do it. I, I can do it. And, and it is ironic that when, when I was in the middle of that period, I didn't think, Christ, I'm giving up the great salary and the mortgage and mm. the, all the all the stuff that I'd got. I just thought, yeah, yeah, I'm doing this, you know. And and you don't think too much. And sometimes I think you can overthink. And I think if you do overthink, it often stops you doing things that intuitively are maybe the right things to do because yeah. you you kind of overthink it and lose your confidence. Whereas I just chuck myself at it and all mm. right, come on, let's have a go at this then. You know, yeah. Because for a lot of people, it's fear of failure that stops them, or fear of loss, or fear of I don't know, falling flat on their face, or fear of judgment from other people, mm. isn't it? You mm. know. But like you say, you just kind of just thought, well, sod it, I'm going to do it anyway because mm. it feels instinctively right mm. to, to. But you. Uh, but ironically, you know, it, it's probably the fear of failure. It's probably the biggest motivator for me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, in the, in the early days of starting my business, I couldn't face my dad and tell him it hadn't worked. No. You couldn't do it. You know, it, it had to work. But I suppose with some people, the fear of failure means they never even start, whereas yeah. with you, you'd thrown yourself in, so actually you have to make it happen. And yeah. You didn't want to let your dad down and, mm. and all of those sink or, things. Sink or swim, yeah. you know, in a lot of ways. Yes, it absolutely was. Yeah, yeah and, 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 you know... You look back, I mean, what I did is, is I bought um, 10 shops from my employer, from TUI. I bought 10 shops that didn't really fit their, their portfolio. And it was the time that the internet was growing. And I can remember when the announcement was made, I was meeting people at events and stuff like that. And I could see in their eyes, they were looking at me thinking, what an idiot. Doesn't he realise everybody's going to book on the internet? Oh my Christ! What a what is yeah. he doing? You know, and I could see it. Nobody told me that, but I could just see it in their eyes. Mm. And it, it kind of, if anything, can spur you on. It's that sort of reaction. You, you kind of think, right? Okay, let's see then. Let's let's have, let's have a go and let's see what what can happen mm. here. You know, mm. and and it did motivate me even more. Despite the fact nobody said it, I, I could sense it and feel it in people. And I thought, oh, yeah, okay, let's have a go then. Let's let's see what happens here, you know. And 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 the other the other way you could behave in that situation is thinking, oh my god, I think they're right. Yeah. And the whole thing collapses. Yeah. And so you know you do have to have a lot of um, inner belief in yourself that mm. you, you can make it happen because you know there'll always be bumps in the road. And it's how you react to those that, that, that in a lot of cases cause people to succeed or fail as, mm. as, they, as they get hit by the juggernaut. You know, yeah. what, what do you do? You fall flat on the ground or you bounce back up and have yeah, another yeah. go? Yeah, I think you know? you're right. And that self-belief is, is, and the mindset is possibly the most important thing for anyone in their life, whatever they choose to do in business, career or, or personal stuff. Mm. You know, because if you haven't got that, you're right when... The naysayers come along, whether they verbalise it or don't verbalise it, or it's just a feeling. Mm. It can really blow mm. you off track, can't it? And, mm. and you know, think make you make you doubt yourself. Yeah, um, and that's the worst thing, isn't it? I oh, think. I think I think that can be crippling. Yeah, for you. I think yeah. you know you you have to have that inner belief and that stickability. Mm. If you don't have that, it's it's very tough, almost to achieve anything. Yeah, because life's hard. No games are easy these days. Every game is tough, no matter what game you're in. And if you haven't got stickability and to take those knocks. 
it's mm. hard. It's well, there's hard. a phrase, isn't there? If you do, if you do what's easy, life will be hard. If you do what's hard, life will be easy. Mm. You know, and I think there's a lot in that. But you have to, you have to do the legwork. You have to put take. Yeah, you do. You have to put the effort in. Yeah, you nothing do. Comes the, you nothing. Know, the, there, there isn't a shortcut no. to to achieving success it, yeah. it, in the slightest. It, it's graft, and I, you know, I look back now at the the, the early days of the business, and um, bloody hell, I worked hard. You know, I, I, I worked in the shop on the counter selling holidays. Mm. And then in the evening, I'd then go back and do the marketing. At the weekend, I'd do the accounts. Yeah. And then I'd start the whole thing again the following week. Yeah. You know, and I look back now and go, bloody hell, that was just madness. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was what was required to get us going. Mm. You know, and without that, the... the there, there, there was no HR department. There was no marketing department. There was no finance department. There was no doors to knock on. <laughs> they didn't exist. So somebody had to do it. Yeah. Uh, you couldn't. You couldn't afford to employ anybody. So you just had to get your head down and bloody get on with it. You know, mm. because it was the only way to, to to achieve. If you were if you were if you were driven enough to want to do it. Mm. What advice would you give to someone? It doesn't have to be a travel business, but someone who's thinking of, of starting a business. Um, when you look back at those early years that you had, is there anything you do differently? Is there anything that you would offer advice to someone who was who was you know going to start a new business today, or maybe not today in in the current climate, but say like say last year <laughs> or yeah. even today, really? Yeah, suppose, yeah. Well, I know, think today's whichever. as good an opportunity exactly. as any. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, I think um, I think you've got to have self belief. I think you've got to be prepared to live on the square root of nothing financially mm. for a period of time. Mm. If you think you're going to start on a great big fat salary from day one, give up because you ain't going to. You know, you, you've got to be prepared to put the hard yards in. Mm. And I think you, you've also, and this isn't absolutely crucial, but I think it does make a difference. You've got to be in love with what you do. Yeah. You know, if you're in love with what you do, You'll always do a better job of it. You'll always check yourself. You'll you'll always spring up first thing in the morning with a smile on your mm. face. Gonna hit the day again, you know. If it isn't something you love, you can still do those things, but God, it's a lot harder. Yeah. So yeah. you know, if you can find the thing you love and take that on, whatever it is, then you. I think you've got more chance of success. I really mm. do. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And you know, there's so many people, unfortunately, that just hate their jobs or they hate mm. what they're spending their mm. time. And life mm. is so short, isn't mm. it? None of us know how long mm. we've got. So mm. why waste a moment? And I guess coming back to what you were talking about earlier, Miles, in terms of, you know, you'd you'd removed away from what you loved when you were climbing that career ladder in mm. corporate, you know, corporate TUI. As as, and I'm sure there were lots of positives about that, but ultimately you'd moved away from what you really loved and that's what you came back to by mm. setting up the business wasn't mm. it really i mean today i mean the business is 14 years old now um i still love talking to our customers yeah um fronting consumer events talking to them on the phone whatever i love it you yeah. know and and aren't i lucky to be talking about travel mm. i mean what a great product to to talk about people love it everybody's got an opinion everybody's got a happy place that they love you know it's a great thing to talk about mm. and so you combine the two What's not to love about that? Yeah, yeah. And and actually, you know, in the industry, you are incredibly well known. You know, everyone knows Miles Morgan. Everyone. I, 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 I you know, I question that anyone. Is, that is a bit alarming. <laughs> well, yeah. No, but but you're, you do throw your personality into the business. You know, that there isn't a lot of separation between, you know, you're the same, I think, sitting in the pub having a pint with your, with your friends as you are, you know, 
at an industry event or talking with suppliers, you're the same integrity and the personality that you bring to the business. I personally think from an outsider looking in as well, because we've done business together over the years too, um, that's what differentiates you because you are the business Mm. And you, you are the brand, um, you know, and I think that's that's also probably gone a long way because you are the you are the ni- the, the the nice guy of travel, the nicest no, guy in travel. <laughs> Doesn't I, mean I, to say you're not a very savvy businessman, by the way. No, I, I think there's a few things to pick up for what you just said there. I think um, one thing that a lot of people have said to me subsequently since starting the business was, "Cool, it's quite ballsy to put your name over the door." Yeah. Um, and again, did I consider that when I started the business? No, it never crossed my mind. But now you think, oh, yeah, it could have gone really ugly, yeah. you know. And, and you know, I, I can remember the early days, quite funny, really, when, when the staff used to answer the phone, Miles Morgan Travel. I was thinking, that's me. Bloody <laughs> hell. You know, and, and, and that sounds a stupid thing to say, yeah, but, but it absolutely was. It was yeah. like, oh, my God, you know, Miles Morgan Travel, that's me, you know. And, yeah. and seeing the face, the first faces go up and all that, such a buzz. It was just amazing and such a great feeling. And... To pick up on the second point uh, that's quite interesting is um, I always felt that you had to be a certain type of thing to make it in business. You had to be hard-nosed and horrible mm-hmm. or you had to be, you know, this sort of, you know, Alan sugar style type person or whatever. And I suppose, and maybe this is with age, I, I've learned to understand that it's all a load of nonsense. The, the best thing to be is yourself, whatever that is, yeah. um, because that's you. Um, you know, I am what I am, warts and all, good bits, bad bits, whatever. But I am what I am every day. And I'm, I'm quite happy to, to live that and not think I need to be a different style of manager mm. or a different style of boss or whatever, mm. because I need to fit. Yeah. Um, and I did feel that was how it, how it had to be. Mm. Um, but you quickly realise after a while that that doesn't. No, you, you, your best result is you. Yeah, you know, and, and and you're more comfortable being you than you are trying to be somebody else. But I mm-hmm. think there is a natural temptation because you watch, you know, The Apprentice or these programs yeah. that you have to be, you know, this person. And actually, you don't. It's a yeah. whole load of nonsense. Yeah, you, you know, the, the best result is to be you. Yeah, what's it all? Whatever it is. Yeah, you know? and I think even within the corporate world, actually, if you can find your true self, I mean, you're more constrained because there's the structure, the protocol, the politics. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that nonsense that goes on, isn't mm-hmm. there? But I still think even within a corporate, if you can be, be as close to yourself as possible, then that does stand out because you you do end up with, you know, other people that are trying to present an image or be something that they perceive is the right thing to do. And, and people normally s- smell it, don't they? they? They smell bullshit a million miles away. Um, but so, there's plenty of that in corporate. There you is know, plenty and, of that and, as well, and yes. I, I think that was the thing that I saw that, you know... You see, I call them like hollow individuals, mm. you know, people that, that don't live themselves. Mm. They live as something they think they need to be to live in a corporate world. And I mm. suppose that was the bit that I I didn't really like. Yeah. Um, and I saw through it, didn't like it. And kind of now I'm the bloke, I'm the boss, I'm the bloke in charge of my own business. I'm lucky enough to not have to have that as a culture in my business and certainly not employ anybody in my business that that is like that. Yeah. Because I just think, no, no, be you. Yeah. You know, and and be a positive person and, Mm. you know, don't be a sapper of energy and stuff. Be a a positive influence on the business, whoever you are and whatever role you play, because everybody can do that. But, yeah, I think these um, kind of plastic people live in corporate and they don't need to. Yeah. 
but it is harder in corporate without a doubt to be yourself yeah. because you kind of feel you need to conform yeah um, I mean, I used to say, I used to feel it more from a female perspective, you know, a woman in business, and, and I was nearly always the only woman in the boardroom, you know, mm. full of, you know, grey suits and men in grey suits yeah. mainly. And sometimes I think way back when I mean, it's moved on now, but I think as a woman, sometimes you felt you had to be act more like a man to get on in business, yeah. which of course is nonsense, right? Mm. And it's not mm. better or worse. So be yourself, feminine or, you know, whatever your style is and bring mm. that to the, to the table because that's actually what's needed, that mm. balance and diversity. But I totally understand what you're saying because there are times in my career where I thought, oh gosh, I need to, in order to get on, I need to fit into mm. this mould. That's right. Um, and there are times when that just feels incongruent to your values. Yes. And, and you know, even if you know it at the time, you kind of swept, you can be swept along in this machine, can't mm. you? Um, I think I was. I think I was personally at times. Yeah. The, the, the feeling that you need to conform and need to look like all the other grey suits mm. and stuff is, is, is understandable. Yeah. It's totally understandable. And I think. You know, is, is it an age thing or a confidence thing or whatever that, that realises you don't need to be that? I don't know, mm. probably a combination of all of them, maybe. Yeah. But but you do realise that you don't need to be that. Yeah. You, you really don't. Yeah. Did you ever, do you ever suffer from feelings of, I mean, we talk about quite a lot, the imposter syndrome, which it, which is a sense of, you know, I don't really belong. I'm going to get found out. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve to be in the position that I'm in. Clearly not now, obviously, but ever when you were in that corporate time of your career, in particular, probably at two, did that ever come through for you or, oh, or not day. at all? Did it? Oh, yes. Without, without a shadow of a doubt. How, did, how, how, how would that manifest then, Miles? Um, I think, you know, you, you used to have a trading meeting every Tuesday, go on the train up to London, um, get a paste in like you got every week because that's the way it worked, you know. And it does cause self-doubt in, in anybody. Um, mm. And anybody that probably says it doesn't, I don't know whether they're telling the truth or not. <laughs> and I think, you know, it, it, it does hit you. It does hit your confidence. Um, and I suppose for me personally, all of those things have helped shape me. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing that it's probably take away from it is is all positive. You know, did I learn from it? Did I grow from it? Did I mature from it? All of those things, yeah. And 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 the same with um, with stress. I mean, incredibly stressful job. Mm. You know, all those staff responsibility, and the stress in that job was huge. And I can remember days when you know my heart used to be racing and stuff like that, and I, and. You learn to manage that. Mm. And I mean, we're, we're not talking about the, the crap storm that we're living through now with, no. with COVID. But but ironically, those sorts of things have helped me manage stress levels through mm. business because you learn to see the signals of how, you, how you're behaving. And you, and you just go, come on, chill, relax. Mm. You know, what's the worst thing that can happen? Yeah. You know, you need to, you, and, and set yourself some little goals to see yourself through it. I can remember, one of my, this is one of my happy days at, at TUI, when Peter Rothwell, my boss then, said, uh, Miles, I need to go down to Southampton. I said, yes, Peter, no problem. What do you want me to do? He said, we've got um, Thompson Celebration coming in the cruise ship. Um, there is poo coming up in all the cabins. Um, somebody needs to go down, talk to the passengers and front up to the press. And I can remember driving down to Southampton. I can remember being on that M27 thinking, oh, my God. Um, and was it hell? You know, I can remember walking onto the ship, into the, into the lounge, and I, it was like a swarm of bees around me. I was thinking, oh, oh my, my God. God, you know. But living through all those experiences helps you with all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because you, you go, okay, actually, it's all right. It's all right. And, you know, I can remember driving down, and I remember looking at my watch and thinking, do you know what, Miles? 
five hours time you're going to be driving the other way. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And once you get your head around that, it's fine. You go, it's fine. What's yeah. the worst that can happen? You know, and, and that's another thing that, you know, a lesson that I've learned over time, managing stress, managing situations. And, and you know, Di Litton, who was the HR boss at Baker's while I was there, her, her favourite little saying was, don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. She used to say, don't sweat the small stuff all the time. And I still to this day say, don't sweat the small stuff to myself mm. internally. I don't mm. say it out loud, I say it to myself internally. Refocus yourself. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Make yourself a list, manage what you're doing, all those sorts of things. And, and it helps. And, you know, all those life experiences build who you are and and you learn to manage these things. And and, and the corporate crap, if you like, that, that I went through for nine years, I was there had a massive influence on me and mm. you know do I think I could have run my business as well as I've done it without that nine years at TUI no I don't mm. you know I learned an awful lot the disciplines they had the structure their approach crisis management all of these sorts of things they were so good at it yeah and yeah. the takeout, I learned so much from it and, yeah. and managed my business better as a result of doing that. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's that combination of experience and knowledge that you've built. And it's almost, I think you don't realise how much you've learned and how much you've grown as a leader and as a, as a person until you maybe get thrown out of that environment into a new environment, in this case for you setting your own business up. And you go, oh, actually, yeah, I, I know this stuff. I didn't realise I knew so much because it was just part of what you did. Mm. Um, and then you apply it in a way that's relevant and appropriate for your business today mm. and you get the mm. best of both, don't mm. you, really? Mm. Um, I think you, you, you're so right, I think. That, and, and even doing this thing with you today, you know, until you sort of challenge me on stuff and it makes you think, it does make you think, oh, yeah, I learned that from doing that and I didn't realise about yeah. that. And so, you know, I mean, what was it, um, eight years, six years into doing the business, I, um, I chartered the cruise ship to sail the voyage of the Titanic. Yes, talk I mean, about this. This what is great. That's idea that was. <laughs> talk about this. This is fabulous. It was just, it was just, <laughs> I mean, it's quite a funny story, really. I mean, a, a guy approaches to do it, um, and I need to be careful what I say and choose my words carefully. But um, um, we parted company because things weren't quite as they seemed. I think I'll probably leave it at that. And I did a, decided to take on the project, um, which was a like a a multi-million pound charter of a cruise ship. Um, when the business wasn't really going fully, we weren't into big profits. In mm. fact, we were hardly even into bloody profits at that point or other. Yeah. And did I even cross my mind that my house was on the line for, for taking on this cruise ship? No, it didn't even cross my mind. I thought, all right, come on, we can take this one on. We can make this one work. And and so we had a go at it. And it was it was just... The irony was incredible. You know, I, I, I got um, Tara in to run it for me and we were battling away. We'd sold a couple of cabins and it was um, it was quite hard work. I was trying to get the PR machine going unsuccessfully because we were, what were we? We were probably four years out before the voyage was going to run and people weren't particularly interested. And then um, late the late show on, um, on TV in, um, in America for some bizarre reason, picked up on the cruise. And uh, the host, Jimmy Kibble, it was, um, said, uh, he said, you won't believe this crazy, crazy UK company are running this cruise ship to follow the voyage. And behind him, he had a graphic of the ship coming along, hitting an iceberg and sinking. <laughs> and it was just so funny. Tara was on holiday and I was running the show. And I was in the office at about nine o'clock at night and... Um, 
I can remember my inbox started to ping and it pinged and pinged and pinged incessantly with inquiries. Wow. And that was the beginning and the end of it as far wow. as the cruise was concerned. It just it just filled from that. Amazing. Um, from that one little bit of luck, really. Yeah. Bit of luck. Yeah. And, you know, the, the whole... The whole planning of that would have been an utter horlicks if I hadn't been at TUI and and mm. learnt about the processes and disciplines to run a project that ended up, you know, because I chartered another ship then. I chartered another one from New York. So we had two bloody ships going. Amazing. Um, but all of that learning helped me organise what I believe was a brilliant experience for those people that went on that cruise. It, it was, was it the most sensational experience of my life? Not far off. Mm. Um, you know, because we had the most nightmarish journey. So we sat, we sailed out of Southampton straight into a Force 8. We arrived in Cove late because of the weather. Um, Cove, this sleepy port in, in Southern Ireland, which I'd been to loads of times visiting before we did the cruise. Mm. Very sleepy place. Every vantage point in the whole of the, of the town was full of people. Wow. watching us coming in every road was covered in faces watching us coming in which is quite staggering oh, yeah uh, and we arrived and came in i did some tv interviews and this sort of stuff but that was just a warm-up lap for coming out of ireland and going across and hitting then force eight and nine which was just out of this world um and then the the captain um calling me in and saying um small problem miles i got used to the captain saying small problem miles because he said it a few times too small problem um <laughs> the bbc cameraman has had a heart attack um and he needs to get off bearing in mind that we were actually in the, in middle of the atlantic, atlantic. <laughs> and so said, so, so captain what was the impact on the cruise then he said well he said i don't know yet he said um we need to get a helicopter out from ireland and it purely depends on the range of the helicopter. He said, if the helicopter's got long range, we make the sight in time. If it's a shorter helicopter range, then yeah. no, we're not going to make the sight in time for, because obviously we're having the memorial service exactly the time Titanic sank, oh, um, 100 years on. Um, but I can still remember it was Shannon. Shannon had long range helicopters. And sure enough, <laughs> I can remember being on board and um, the helicopter came in. Um, Took Tim, the cameraman, off. He's only just retired from the BBC, Tim. He was still going, which is great wow. that he recovered and was oh. in good shape. Um, took him off and we cruised on, um, only for the captain to call me in and say, Mars, we're having a small problem. Um, and uh, a girl has gone missing off on the ship and um, her parents think she might have jumped overboard. Oh, God. And it was just like, oh, God. So... Um, we waited and waited and waited, and it was probably about four hours. And they found her lying on the floor at the back of the auditorium. Oh, my word. <laughs> I have never been so relieved in all my life. <laughs> so thank God for that. Um, and then the weather had been appalling. We got to the site um, for 2.22, whatever it is in the morning, 100 years on, and everything just stopped. It was like a mill pond. Wow. And uh, I can remember that night walking around the ship and all the passengers were whispering. It was a quiet thing. The seabirds, white seabirds going over the still water. It, it was mm. magical. I've got an old goose pimply. It, it, it was one yeah, of those yeah. moments. And we got all the wow. people that had descendants on board at the top. And um, we had an opera singer singing There Am I God to Thee, which is the thing that, that was done when the Titanic sank. Mm. And... Um, that was a massive culmination of a huge project for me that was just 
it was just fantastic and and we made some money out of that but uh, it wasn't about the money it, it got way past that mm. it got to a, a project that has to deliver for the people that went on it and has to be something amazing and you know the BBC made a half hour documentary about it um, afterwards um, and that's a me- mega proud moment I mean oh, people don't make a half hour documentary about something that you've done it was just it was just brilliant and you know the the whole pulling together of that was probably a culmination of skills I learned over the previous I don't know how long. Mm, you know mm. the crisis management stuff, yeah. the organisation before we went, the discipline of making it all work, mm. all that sort of stuff, and and again all that came together with me. You know I can remember every morning I had um, I had Titanic facts on banners, um, and I had one for every day. And I remember I put them up every single morning. I'd go up my job first thing in the morning, put the banner up with a, <laughs> with a new fact about a passenger that was on board and stuff like that. Aww. And I absolutely loved it. It was it was it was almost a mission to make people have a memorable voyage, you yeah. know. And 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 it really went incredibly well. We gave some free gifts to people, you know, cufflinks and stuff like that. It, it was just fab, but it was it was just an amazing project to be involved with. God, super emotional. And then, like you say, one of your proudest moments, and to have done that not that long after you'd really got the business going in the first place is is incredible. And did did I think that I was going to lose my house if it had gone pear You didn't even think of... No, well, I didn't. No, I'm, but you could have done. Per- perhaps I should have done. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is glad it's good you didn't. But, you know, this is the other thing, isn't it? When people talk about the travel industry and the holidays, you know, quite flippantly, actually, you know, we are changing people's lives. You know, those special moments like that are irreplaceable, yeah. aren't they? You know, and those mm. people that have that experience mm. and you you made it happen for them, that'll stay with them to the day they die. Oh, the people that you had know. relatives on board, for oh. them, it was the most amazing experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you it recreated history in a way, you know, that... that that no one would have probably had the balls to do and the creativity to do, mm. you know, really. Mm. I mean, God, incredible. And and you talked a bit about, you know, obviously the, the skills you'd learned over the years and how useful they were with that particular project. But also your team must have been key. So so we're only ever as good as our teams as well, aren't we, really? So talk about how important people and how you've gone about building, you know, the incredible team that you've got in Miles Morgan Travel, because I think that is also something that's quite unique um, compared to other businesses. What I absolutely appreciated then and still do now is that my name is above the shop in 18 shops around the, the southwestern Wales. Uh, but I am I fully understand that nobody actually books with Miles Morgan. Mm. They all book with Jane or Sue or Claire in the shop. Yeah. And I describe them as the crown jewels, the, mm. the staff that work in the shops, because they are what sets us apart. They are the most important thing in the whole business. For me, they even come second behind the customers mm. um, because if I get the staff right, everything kicks off the back of that. And, you know, I am fortunate to have um, a sensational bunch that work for me. And actually, the the Titanic project probably summed that up. It was about, I don't know, a month out. And my God, we were behind with the paperwork and stuff like that. And I, and I sent out an SOS to the guy saying we're in trouble. And I had, oh, I'm trying to remember the numbers now, probably about a dozen staff every night after work, got in their cars, drove to the shop in Porter's Head and worked clearing up the backlog of stuff, getting the communications out, collecting money from customers, that sort of stuff. I got the pizzas in and we ate some pizza and stuff. And and then after that, then 
they all came to the port to see us off, checking in the customers, all that sort of stuff. And the commitment that the guys put in is phenomenal. Mm. Um, and, you know, I hope I reward them financially for doing that and, and look after them because if I have happy staff that do a brilliant job for the customers, I have a successful business. And I absolutely understand that 110%. Mm. It is the most important mm. bit of the whole organisation. And, and really, yeah, I'm in travel, but I think that applies in anything. You know, you yeah. go to a restaurant, what sets a restaurant apart? Yes, it might be the chef and his meals, but mm. actually if the service is crap, you're not going to enjoy yourself in, irrespectively. Yeah. You know, if the service is smiley, you can sometimes get away with food being substandard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but the experience is, is, is all about the people. And I've always tried to, I never managed by fear. It doesn't work ever. Mm. It's not, not my style anyway. No. Um, I manage through motivation and, and getting people wanting to do better and achieve for themselves and, and, and setting the bar high and people. And we've got to the point now with the company that, that you know, I don't even set a bar anymore, you know, because they set their own bar. Mm. You know, their standards are so high in, in terms of service and sales that we don't really even talk about it because they do it themselves. Yeah, you know, there's a constant yeah. improvement, and and what's driven the company forward so successfully over time has been um, the constant drive of the people and their desire for us to do better yeah. and see us grow and achieve and grow success. And and you know we don't celebrate success as much as we should. And I think it's a, I could probably a criticism that I could chuck at myself really because we're always on to the next all the time. Yeah. You're racing ahead to the next thing. I mean, we have a, we have a belting Christmas party every year and we, we had a party at the farm, you know, so we do stuff. Do we do enough? No, I don't think you can ever do enough mm. um, because those people are the crown jewels, you yeah. know, and the, and the senior management team I've got are, are brilliant. You know, Mandy, Tara, Carolyn, been with me for years and years and years now and, and, and live and breathe what we do. They're, they're totally bought into the concept. In fact, they are the concept in terms of what we do. Yeah. Um, ironically, all ladies. Um, and, you know, could I find better? I'd struggle, mm. you know, and I, I, I don't believe, you know, the feminist thing I find quite difficult because the way I've always behaved is if I could find blokes to do their job better, well, that would be great. Yeah. But actually, they're the best people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I firmly believe in recruiting the best people for the job. 100%. And I've got three yeah. blinders. Yeah, you know, I'm yeah. so lucky, you yeah. know, with, with what I've got there. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so the business rolls forward through success. Success breeds more success. You know, we've got all our bloody awards behind yeah. us here today. You know, did I ever imagine we get any of them when we started? God, not in a month of Sundays. Yeah. And it still freaks me every time we win one. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> God, really? And I, th I think people probably think, oh, he's won another bloody award. You know, it, it still shocks me every time we win one, to yeah. be honest, because we never set the business up to do that. It was never about that. Yeah. It, it, it was about having a business that I'm proud of. It was never about winning awards. It was never about making lots of money. It was just feeling proud about what I do and, and, and the business. And, mm. you know, if you bump into somebody down the pub and they say, oh, you're a lot of good in so-and-so, nothing gives me a buzz greater than that. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's probably the best feeling you can yeah. ever have. It isn't, oh, I see you've made loads of money. No, no. It isn't that. It's bloody hell, they're great in that shop in Chepstow yeah. or they're brilliant in that shop in Ross-on-Wye or yeah. Monmouth or wherever it might be. You know, that... that 
there's no buzz yeah. to, to match that. There yeah, and, and then, like you say, the financial rewards just come naturally because all of that is at the forefront. Yeah. And that's secondary, really, the awards, the money, whatever comes is because... Yes. But that's been that's been the common theme throughout your whole career. As you said earlier, you know, you were never following the money. Uh, you were, you want, wanted the uh, the success of progress, progressing, achieving. You know the you know getting it, getting it, better, it, being a better it, version of uh, yourself. Uh, and all it's the time. it isn't even the, the the kind of the public accolades that we've got, and we've got a lot. It isn't that. It's the inner feeling in me yeah. of doing really well at what we do. Yeah. You know, yeah. feeling proud that we do a really, really good job yeah. of what we do as a yeah. travel agent. Yeah. You know, that's the underlying thing. And that shines. It absolutely does shine. So can we just talk a little bit briefly, because I'm, I'm I'm just conscious that we've, we're in the travel industry and it is very tough right now. Um, so we could probably spend a whole hour talking about COVID and the impact of the industry and what have you. But just maybe a short um, perspective from your side in terms of how tough it's been. Um, and kind of what you're doing as a business to see see through these difficult times. Well, I suppose there's a follow-up here with the conversation we've just had. You know, March and April were the hardest time of my my business career, without mm. a doubt. Um, incredibly hard work, very pressurised. But, um, you know, did we handle ourselves well through that? Totally we did. Mm. How did we achieve that? Great people. Yeah. You know, we had great people looking after our customers, despite the fact my lot were stressed up to the eyeballs, mm. working incredibly hard, occasionally getting shouted at. You know, we powered through that, got to the other side of that that tough time, um, lived through a trough of kind of nothingness for a few months, noise about refunds, bits and pieces like that. And then we've kind of reached the point now where, I can see us quietly building back up mm. and um, starting to get some positive news about travel again, you know, testing, vaccines, you know. So hoping that things will quietly now recover and improve. Um, but it is a really, really testing time for everybody. And I think, you know, the, the lack of sector-specific support is frustrating. Um, but Christ, get on with it. If yeah. they ain't going to support us, get on with it. Yeah. You know, there's no point in whinging and moaning and talking about what ifs. They ain't doing it. They ain't doing it. And we, I think we've seen enough to know they're not. So yeah. let's get on with it. Make the fist of it we can. Um, and I suppose uh, I've seen quite a lot of stuff about, oh, yeah, we, we all need to hibernate for winter. Seems to be the, the buzzword for, for travel, okay. hibernate for winter. And I think, no, 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 don't hibernate for bloody winter. Yeah. You know, sure, we need to keep an eye on costs and keep costs low, but let's fight our way out of it with sales, which is what we're doing. Mm. And, you know, we've done it very successfully over the last few weeks because, you know, at any point in time, there are always people booking holidays yeah. and the cake is big or the cake is small. And if the cake is big, happy days. Mm. If the cake is small and you want to succeed, just get an unfair share of the smaller cake. And yeah. so that's what we're focused on is getting an unfair share of, of what's out there and you know our marketing and activity is is doing that for us at the moment will it be enough i hope so mm. um but we certainly won't die for for a lack of effort that's for certain yeah and i think that's that applies to any business any sector as you say i love that analogy of the cake because you just have to keep going do everything you can be creative you know and and if you've got great people then it makes a yeah, massive difference I, doesn't it i i think you what you have to do is not stop yeah keep going you know, i think a lot of people are thinking you know hibernate for winter 
means cutting all the costs, but but stopping everything. No, and I think that's the surest way to failure. Yeah, you know, people have to keep their activity going, keep their brand up, keep mm. promoting, keep smiling, yeah. keep happy, keep positive, and you know, and again, that's the mentality that people we've got is you know, customers come and see us, and the the first thing they say. Is, Oh, must be tough in your game. Mm. Now, what do you want to do? Do you want to go, oh, yeah, you're right. Oh, it's rubbish, isn't it? Oh, it's so hard every day. Mm. You know, do you think they're going to book holiday with you? Not a chance. You know, we've got to be bouncy and smiley and power through it. And that, that's yeah. that's the attitude I'm hoping will we'll, we'll see us through it and, and, and see any business through this. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm sure it will. And that's great advice, actually, for anyone listening that's also struggling, you know, with whatever sector they're in. Absolutely, power on through. It's mm. not the time. It's not the time to hunker down and hide. It's the time to stand up with you know shoulders back and head high, isn't it? Really, to- to- totally. Yeah, I mean, we've <laughs> we've done. Um, you know, I've done a lot of videos for our customers, and and in all the time, you know, I've had the business fourteen years now, and these videos that I did, particularly at the the beginning of the the COVID outbreak, I did them every week, pretty much. Then mm. the customer feedback has been phenomenal. Yeah. Never ever in all the stuff we've done in 14 years have we had feedback quite as strong. And it's simply customers saying, you're fronting up, um, you're still smiling, and you're telling them what's go- telling us what's going on in an English manner. Yeah. We understand what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because there was so much at the beginning, spin, hype, technical talk, stuff like that. People didn't understand it. And so mm. just tell people how it is. Keep up beat, mm. and you know. And I, I spoke to a customer last week, and they said, um, "You're still really happy, aren't you?" I said, "Yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah." Mm. And I remain happy. You know, we'll we'll power through and we'll find a way. We we have done for the last fourteen years. This isn't going to get the better of us. Yeah, exactly. Well, I love that fighting spirit. That's that's absolutely spot on. So, just a couple of last questions, if I may, Miles. So, can you think of the um, best piece of advice that you've ever been given? Uh, no, I can't. Um, I can't answer that question. No, because I think I've probably been given so many bits of advice and I, I kind of see it more as a jigsaw puzzle. Okay. Where I've taken loads of bits of advice and plugged yeah. them all together to make, if you like, the whole jigsaw. I don't think there's ever been one pivotal bit of advice if I had to pick out anything it would probably be when I started my business do something that you know is your first business because Mm. I was thinking of opening a garden centre okay Um, which of course I had previous for garden centres only when I was (laughs) age 10 Um, but they said stick to what you know for your first business and that was probably right yeah Um, but I think overall I picked up so many things along the way that it's a jigsaw puzzle of all Mm. of them that, that kind of that helps yeah brilliant okay and if you were giving advice to someone um who's wanting to make a change out of corporate world into entrepreneurial world like you did in whichever business travel or anything else what would your advice be to those those kind of people um the natural thing to say is just do it um Mm. but i won't say that um i'd say that you know make sure you've got the funding to live with no money Mm -hmm. for a considerable period of time yeah. Um, challenge yourself to why you're going to graft hard enough to make it a success. Um, think about how much you love it. Um, and if you love it enough, nine times out of ten, you'll make it work. Mm. You know, but I think, you know, the if you've got that inner determination in yourself and you really want to make that change and do it, you absolutely can. Mm. You absolutely can. 
but so much of it is about you know positive attitude passion for what you do believing in yourself because you know there were dark days when i started the business there mm. there really were in the first few years you know the my my um my telecoms bill my budget was was um was 22,000 pounds for the first year um the bill came in for the first quarter and it was 24,000 pounds it was more than the whole bill mm. and it was because um somebody had hacked into one of the phone systems and dialed a premium rate number every three seconds for three days and run up the bill and bt wow. wouldn't waive the bill wow um that was a downtime you know that, that was that was catastrophic for me mm. um and what'd you do you, you know I did my normal, which is, well, there you go. Can I change it? No. Right. Get on with it. And let's get to the other side. And, you know, you've got to have that stickability if you start a business because it will not go like the business plan you've produced. That is 100% certain. <laughs> some bits will exceed and some bits will bomb. Yeah. Um, and you've got to be prepared to take them both on the chin. But that's so much easier if you love what you do. It, it really makes it so much easier. Yeah. Oh, that's fabulous advice. And what a perfect, perfect end to the podcast. So thank you, Miles, for being brave, bold and brilliant. Thank you, Jeanette. <laughs>